everyone. Welcome back to our Let's Talk podcast. Joining me today is brand strategist and CEO of Wrapped KED and special guest Barry Singleton, who is the Chief Relationship Officer at Scaled Insights. So thank you both for joining me this morning. Thank you, Katie. Um, well, this morning we've got Barry and I'm lucky enough to know some really, really interesting people. Um, was probably because I'm a bit old, but I, I've met so many really fabulous people, and Barry's one of them. Um, I'll take that. <laughs> I think it's um, along your journey and along your career, you just meet, meet people that you click with and that have the same ethos as you and who um, are interesting. Um, and Barry's story, the whole story is really interesting as well. But, and we'll go into uh, Skilled Insights and what they do and how we work together. But Barry, just start us off with how did you get involved with Skilled Insights to begin with? So it's a really quite unusual story, I guess, in the sense that about eight years ago, um, I was in a job that I wasn't happy in. And I was actually living in Norwich. I'd, I'd relocated to Norwich. And in, in, in around that time, I decided to set up a clothing brand for gingers because um, I am a ginger. So, you know, I have the authority to clothe that particular minority. Um, and through doing my research into whether there was actually a market for doing ginger clothing, um, I came across um, a chap called Stuart Sherman um, in one of these um, Facebook forums. He was also curious, like I am, and like I was then, about the stereotypes that are attached to people with red hair, um, you know, that we're all fiery-tempered, that we're all deviants, that we're all the class clown, that there's loads of them. And, and I was all really interested in kind of trying to unpick and understand them. And um, we spent three years running at the same hotel at the world's largest redhead festival in the Netherlands and became firm friends and probably two or three years after that, maybe five years ago now, I would say, um, he decided he was going to set up a business in the UK or set up um, and try and try and earn some pounds, essentially, um, with his um, with the parent company, which is IMC. And since then, the technology behind Scaled Insights evolved. And then we set up Scaled Insights as a as a kind of standalone company registered in the UK as, a, as an SME. So that was the story. It was purely, purely serendipitous through chance. There was no um, grand career plan or anything like that, which is kind of, which is kind of interesting when you think today is A level results day, isn't it? And there's a whole hoo ha around what's going on with that. And I imagine there's a lot of students out there really concerned about their future and and you know the the impact their results will have. Well. Yeah, um, it doesn't necessarily mean, depending on your results, doesn't necessarily determine the direction of your career as, as, as I am proof of. Because I certainly haven't got A-levels. Um, I think, I mean, it, it's so interesting because, as I say to everybody in, in, in our business, it's relationships. Everything is about relationships. And um, not just getting to know somebody for for your own benefit but when it's genuine it goes on a little bit further than that uh, can you just let us know a little bit about um what Stuart did in the early days and what skilled insight was set up for so Stuart trained as an accountant originally um and he focused on behavioral economics and organizational change and organizational behavior so quite a um a specific 
kind of tranche of, of, of accountancy. And he was, um, he's your classic serial entrepreneur. He set up a company in the, in the eighties, which is one of Canada's first digital marketing companies, um, worked with some huge organizations. He also set up a company that did, um, networking across, um, across North America. So, um, I think he sold one of his companies, the, the digital marketing company to WPP back in the nineties. Um, he's just one of those, um, curious people who is super intelligent, but he's able to boil down complex scenarios or complex concepts into something more understandable and, and easy to consume for, for the likes of you and I, Kate. And I think you're right. You know, I think I'm, I'm not a psychologist, a behavioral economist. I'm not a linguist. I'm not a computer science person, but I think I'm quite good at understanding um, the salient points within those things and, and, and communicating to them, com communicating those easy to understand things to people that we deal with so that, that you can actually, as you say, build those relationships and, and hopefully do business with people. Yeah, it's brilliant. So when, you, when I first met you, and we've worked together for, for a while now, but when I first met you, um, I met you through uh, through Becky, our digital uh, marketing. So I know you're good friends with with her and her husband, and it was just a let's have a chat. And can you remember what you started the conversation with? Can you can you remember what that was? And it kind of it it was so memorable to me, but in a good way, obviously. Um, do you want to go through that? <laughs> do you want me to go on? Yeah, I mean, it, it's so evolutionary psychologists say that when you meet somebody for the first time, we instantly as humans put them into a, a category. And there are four main categories that, that we that we put people in. And they're either like, dislike, total indifference, or potential mate or life partner. Um, so I can't remember how we, we concluded what, what category you put me into at that time. You don't have to tell me, don't worry. Um, I think hopefully it was at least like, um, so, so yeah, that's, that's what evolutionary psychologists say. And there's a, a guy called Mark Bowden, who's a Brit who relocated to Canada. He's a body language, um, expert and he would appear on the likes of, you know, the Canadian equivalent of good morning, let's say. So he'll analyze body language. So, so that's his work. That's what his work suggests. So really what we're talking about there is we're exchanging very small amounts of data, body language, your appearance, and you make an assumption and judgment about people from that small amount of data, whether you like or dislike them or whether you want to, to sleep with them, let's say, uh, or whether you're, you're completely indifferent and you're not interested and therefore you kind of dismiss them and move on. Um, in addition to that, we also then exchange language and we talk to each other. And the way I use language is a subconscious process. I'm not thinking about what we're saying, what I'm saying now. It's just flowing out of me. Um, and you know, you you gave language back to me, and then you know, since then we've kind of evolved our relationship, and and we've ended up doing business together. So, if you'd have put me into that dislike category when I was um, doing that, then you know, we wouldn't be having this conversation now. It's, well, for me, because I'm interested as a as a working in brand, um, it's all about communication. Everything that we do in our agency in any agency, it's about communication. And if we don't understand behaviour, then how on earth can we communicate the right way? So I'm just fascinated, uh, and I don't fully understand it, but I'm fascinated. So those things that you were telling me at that time, I was like, 
it was it, it resonated so much with me um and I think when you say it it's it's kind of oh, it's common sense but yet we don't think about it and in um right now everybody so the current climate unfortunately we have to talk about the current climate is um everybody's talking about looking at um looking at user looking at the user more user centric and we hear all these words all these buzzwords but they say it and they say it to be on trend they say but they don't have any meaning behind it um, so what does it mean for them when they say, you know, we're, we're listening to the customer more, we're listening to what they want, we're listening to what they need? Are they really or are they just saying they are? Um, and for, for me, um, I can see the correlation with what Skilled Insights do with what digital marketing do, because it gives us data, it gives a digital marketing side data to be able to work with. But for brand, it makes us to be, be able to make intelligent choices about how we communicate and what that brand is. And I think there has been, or there is, a big disconnect with people who do brand. So that's, it makes me better at what I do if I have the understanding that you give me. I seem to remember we, we then talked, when we first met, we talked about personas and, and that whole notion of developing personas and customer journeys and user journeys and all that really important stuff. Um, and I think um, I think what I maybe suggested at that time was that, that maybe informing that work with data um, in the form of the data that we can collect through um, through doing kind of survey data, survey collection, and and analysing the language that people use when they're responding to surveys, alongside those qual qualitative, sorry, the quantitative, the numbers. That's the difference that we're interested in. That's where we're kind of we're we're operating. And I think using that kind of insight to inform the development of those personas is is not necessarily something that a lot of organizations do you know we the, the other thing that we talked about was our little kind of story that we've become a little bit known for which is the uh, the two princes story so shall i kind of yes, yes. give you that one yeah uh, uh, it's better it's better with the visual but we won't do screen shares because we're just having a chat aren't we so um there are two gentlemen um and they're both born in 1948 around about three weeks apart um they're both british they both have property in and around London. They're both in the top 1% of high net worth individuals and they're world famous, so you, you know everybody would know them um, unless you've been hiding for a long, long time. Um, they're both Anglican. They've both been married twice. They both love, love dogs, so they would be placed in that same segmentation bucket, the same uh, patient stratification model if we're talking about healthcare. They're identical, and from a mathematical standpoint, from the data, they are exactly identical people. Uh, but one of them is Prince Charles, and the other one's Ozzy Osbourne, the Prince of Darkness. So intuitively, without even going into data and, and, and analysing language, it, it kind of it's obvious that they're very different people. And to use the same language or use the same tactics to try and influence them to take their medicines or to stop them from gambling or smoking or to encourage them on a um, treatment path for weight loss, for example, um, 
then intuitively it makes sense that you would need to use different language or a different communication strategy to influence them. Absolutely, but yet um, most people who are encouraging them to buy something or do something like that, so we've got the healthcare side of it, but if you're encouraging them to want to do something, again, you need completely different language. But what we mostly do, and we've been guilty of this, but what we mostly do is they would be put in that one bracket, wouldn't they? Certain age, so that they would just be classed with, along with a lot of other people, just in a bracket. Let's target those people all with the same message. Yeah, people talk about millennials, don't they? And and it, it just makes me cringe because, yeah, I mean, people are of the same age and maybe they're going through some of the same experiences, but people are different and our personalities are different and our personality has an impact on on how we interact with the world how we interact with people around us and how we interact with the systems and digital um tools and tricks that people are trying to use to to influence us to purchase or to buy or to renew or whatever it might be i think it's important just you cannot put a a group of people just because they was born within the same time frame they're not going to respond to the same message I think a lot of people that people assume that like they're going to because they're born within a specific a specific time and yeah they're not going they're not going to. It doesn't all it, it well it doesn't work. Um, Barry, can you explain um, when you've talked about barriers? We both work in healthcare, health do a lot with healthcare, um, and when we talk about barriers, a barrier to to us is. We're just hitting that barrier and not understanding. It's not. It's not getting through to everybody, and um, it's something that's used in the NHS quite a lot. Uh, the word barrier, and it's what is the barrier to somebody being open to something? And um, when we've been working with you, and what's something that we're going to be working on um, soon with you, um, is to understand that so that we can address that and find out needs. Can you talk a little bit about barriers? Well, I think. I think we're all kind of pre-programmed with these biases that that and and, and bias and is a really kind of hot topic at the moment, isn't it? You were all talking about removing bias from AI algorithms and and you know bias towards people from different demographic groups, etc. But there's something called the status quo bias. So if someone's in a position of influence in an organisation and they have the mindset that oh we've always done it this way, why would we need to change? when actually what, what's really needed in that organisation is some change, then that is the barrier. It's their bias that, well, why would I need to change? I'm happy with what I'm doing. My, you know, my role's going okay. You know, that, that's the kind of barrier that, that maybe you not kind of need to overcome. And it pretend, you know, it's a hypothesis, but can you actually identify what... Can you identify from the way that people use language... Um, the people who have biases and how you can then understand how to shape messaging to nudge them away from their their kind of status quo bias as it were so you used a word there so explain to the listeners what nudges what do you mean by nudging so nudging is is really it's another word for its choice architecture and it's it's a behavioral economics concept by richard thaler and cass sunstein so essentially the best way to to tell you is to give you an example so if you think about organ donorship, um, up until the last couple of years, I know that there was a very low take-up on organ donorship in the UK and in one or two other com- countries, whereas in places like France and the Netherlands, they had a really high uptake. So you're talking 90%. And why is that? Well, 
in those other countries, it's um, it's a default. It's assumed by the government and by the system that you would donate your um, your organs. So you would have to you would have to opt out. Over here, it was opt in. So it's a really big decision to actually for some people to donate your organs. So the nudge there is to change that, make it um, uh, default, make it opt out, so that you're you're already going to have to you know, you do donate your. Um, your organs by default rather than having to choose to do it so that's an example another example you're driving down the motorway or down down a little street and there's one of them little flashing um signs isn't there and if you drive at the right speed and you're below it gives you a nice smiley face which makes you feel good um now obviously all nudges are equal and some nudges are more equal than others so there are some people who aren't necessarily going to respond to those simplistic nudges um, because of the way they they are, you think about um, you talk about the current situation and the new normal. Hey, use the old air quotes, but think think about masks. If you're if you've got that mindset that um, that actually well, you know, the government are trying to force me to do this. Um, anybody who wears masks are sheeple. There's not a lot that's going to be done. There's not a lot you can do to actually influence them or nudge them towards taking a mask wearing a mask it's it's highly unlikely you're going to do that whereas there are people who maybe have that more kind of abundance mentality where they're they're more willing to think about other people before they make decisions about their own behavior and they're probably more they're more likely to be influenceable to actually wear the mask but it's it's worth when you talk about nudging it is worth those middle people that that um just do need that slight little push, that slight little, they're the ones that, so you've got the people that are already going to wear the masks, and those are the people, well, I might, might not, ah, and that, that push might influence an awful lot of people, mm. so it is, it's incredibly important to, to do the nudges. Um, yeah, and, and, and we talked about biases before, there's another bias that's a really interesting, or heuristic, called the availability heuristic, and, you know, my, my viewpoint on the whole COVID situation is very biased because I've got um, I'm living with two people who have been shielding and who've um, who've had to kind of you know really be careful because of the the risks involved. Where somebody else you know somebody else might have had a child who who was maybe vaccinated and it's had an impact on their health and therefore you know they're probably more likely to buy into some of the QAnon some of the conspiracy theories on there so that's going to impact the way they perceive the world and they're even less likely to to kind of pick up a mask and, and, and wear it when they go to a shop mm-hmm. but how you know how can we actually drill down and, and understand what it is that's driving this kind of behavior and how can we understand whether is there a way we can use that understanding to then shape public health messaging um, as we kind of continue through into this new normal that everybody talks about. It's incredibly important. It's um, just understanding the whys. It's fascinating. And I think, as a, just as a human being, when you start to understand and you see things from everybody's different point of view, it makes you uh, a little bit more tolerant. A little bit, I never thought of it like that. I didn't see, so just as a, not from a marketing point of view, a branding point of view, just as a human being, it's, um, that's why I find it just absolutely fascinating. I think you, you hit the nail on the head there. Sorry to interrupt, Kate, but you hit the nail on the head. So 
you know, we're talking about big data is the study of people's past actions to try and predict their future actions. So that gives you all that numerical data. It tells you how often, where, when, the frequency of purchases, whatever, whatever it might be. So it's all the kind of the numbers, the quant. Whereas you mentioned the why then, and, and actually why why people do things comes from comes from their personality. Mm-hmm. It's it's fascinating because if you take that and put it into business speak, even so many people have new ideas, fantastic new ideas, entrepreneurs, and they've got this idea, and it's I'm going to I'm really good at. Um, uh, I've lost, I'm going to go with the weight management, even though it's a bit ridiculous me saying this one. But anyway, I've lost lots of weight. I haven't, by the way. But I've lost lots of weight, and I'm going to now have this new fitness class and health class and everything. Uh, why aren't people turning up? I don't understand. You market to one person, one bit of marketing, a little bit, and they can't understand why. Mm. Um, and it's because we all have different behaviours. What are skilled insights? What have you been doing? Um in the months since lockdown, all those things. I know you've been incredibly busy. And uh, a little shout out here to, to Dr. Stuart Flint, um, who's, who's a very cool, very clever guy and who works uh, around the clock. Um, and can you, can you explain some of the things that you've been, that you've been doing and working on um, very successfully? Um, so... We're kind of naturally curious people, and Stuart's a researcher and academic background, so, you know, very scientifically minded. He's all about understanding um, kind of data and how it impacts on on behaviour and human behaviour, So, which is why it's a really nice kind of um, uh, meeting of the minds, I suppose. So uh, we really quickly realised that it would be interesting to do some research around people's attitudes towards COVID, but not just COVID, but you know, social distancing, the lockdown measures, um, working from home. So we did a general population survey in partnership with the University of Leeds. Um, we're now feeding those insights that we've gathered, and we're just about to do the second um, iteration of that survey. So we're looking at tracking, measuring um, change over time of people's attitudes as as the situation has evolved and changed. So that's um, that's interesting. From that, we were able to determine and define two very clear clusters of different types of people. So there were either people who were really negative towards everything, or, or really positive towards everything. Um, I don't want to kind of steal his thunder because I've got a funny feeling you're going to have him on the podcast talking about the kind of data at some point. So I won't I won't go into that. But we've also done a survey, a similar survey, but it's been with people identified as vulnerable by government. So we're in the process of of collecting that data, sorry, of, of analysing that data and then feeding that back to Public Health England, uh, local government and some of the charities as well. So there's charities like um, uh, JRDF who do uh, diabetes um, funding, I believe. So it's, it's really interesting to them because this kind of information and insight that we can gather or we've been gathering is useful for people who are self-supporting with long-term chronic health conditions, for example, as well. Um, because you imagine, I, I don't know what, it, I'm not a vulnerable person. I, I live with two vulnerable people, but can you imagine the psychological impact on when you get this letter out of the blue from the government saying you're vulnerable, you must stay inside. You're even more vulnerable than everybody else. Um, so it's that, kind of stuff that we're interested in 
and, and also looking at you know the impact on people's well-being, well-being, maybe the mental health um, and their attitudes towards returning to work once we're now in this kind of situation where where we're being let loose a little bit more, aren't we? It, it was really interesting, and I'm, I will talk to Stuart a little bit about this, but it, it, um, I got a lot of questionnaires to fill in. A lot of people were doing questionnaires. What's really interesting, and I did, um, I did uh, Dr. Flint's as well, but some of the questionnaires that, that I was filling in on mental health and all sorts of health-related things, because um, I've had a few illnesses in the past, um, they, their questions were, were shut-off questions. So it's like, well, you're not actually finding anything out. I found that really, really difficult. So I know I was in, in touch with you. I found it very frustrating. It's like, so you're not actually, I don't fit that box. So therefore, you're not, I'm not valuable. My opinion isn't valuable. And I found it really, really frustrating. Whereas with your questionnaire, it's, it's done in a different way because it's done with the knowledge that you need at the end of it rather than I'm just doing a questionnaire because we think it would be really good to know. Mm. Um, and that there is a difference. There, there, there is a big difference. Um, it's really hard to explain that. Um, I was probably not explaining it really well. But as the person that's actually even taking the taking part, um, even from making somebody feel actually actually that my my opinion is matter does matter then mm. no, I've got, I haven't ticked a box there so my opinion really doesn't matter um, so yeah it, it, very interesting and and some of them I've done from very leading charities mental health charities um, a bit disappointing really but anyway I just yeah I mean you know kind of Stuart is obviously far more versed and, and learned in in how to construct and design and co-design that kind of questionnaire than than I am so uh, I should probably uh, <laughs> yeah, well, I'll, I'll I'll discuss all that with them. Um, can you just just before we finish up, I will be speaking to for all of you that are listening in. I will be speaking to Barry on more um, more occasions. I'm going to try and persuade him to get his guitar out as well, um, and with, with groups of us as well. We're going to have some group group uh, podcasts as well. Um, can you just explain to us before you go, though, Barry, what? Is it about the AI? What is the AI? How long did it that, that you use? How long did it take to for Stuart to develop? Uh, just explain a little bit about what it is. Um, hmm, there's a question. Well, shall I tell you maybe a bit about exactly what we're doing with it and, and a kind of maybe a project methodology, for example? Yes, yes that would be perfect. Um, so... What we're really doing is collecting natural language, analysing it alongside the big data that we mentioned before, placing people into different behavioural clusters that's derived from that data. So we need about three to 500 words in order to get um, uh, a language sample that gives us an indication and gives us enough data to, um, to work with, basically. Mm -hmm. um, we would then analyse those different behavioural clusters and then work with an organization, whether it's a healthcare or education or, or a company, to design and uh, deliver bespoke content. So tuned nudges, if you want to use a sales marketing phrase, which is what we do, isn't it? Uh, and then we would then apply that kind of learning 
and and feed it back into the AI. So AI is really just looking at, in my mind, and from what I understand, as not a computer science person, but you look, you can use it to predict, to prevent, to personalize, or make things more person, people centered. We always talked about the four P's of of marketing when I was studying it: promotion, price, place. There's probably more P's. There's more. There's the four P's of personalized medicine now as well, isn't there? Yeah. So, so essentially, that's that's what we're doing. Um, which is basically uh, uh, for for apt, and certainly for me, but for apt, what it enables us to do, getting that information, just makes us able to work on a different level, and not just brand in a way that um, obviously we do branding in a meaningful way and all those kind of things and market in a meaningful way, but to actually get a different set of results. When you have that knowledge, it puts you in a different um, scale for your clients to be able to genuinely get a different set of results. And that blows my mind. So that's so so fabulous. We've got um, nationwide a, a minority shareholder in our business, and we had to demonstrate to them that our technology would have some value to them over the next, I think it was five years. Um, so what we did with them, they, had, they were looking at, um, could they predict somebody's likelihood to renew on their mortgage? And they, they had a model that wasn't predictive at all. It wasn't very well predictive. And if you think about it, if, if a predictive model from big data is 50% predictive, that's that's yes or no isn't it it's it's not predictive at all it's completely chance but by adding this kind of analysis and these insights if you can bump that up to 60 percent 70 percent if you can get it up to 80 percent then you're you're in a better position to understand how to influence people so that person or people like them absolutely very well explained very well explained. Thank you. so <laughs> um right we're going to leave it now. Um, massive thank you, Barry. Thank you. Um, like I say, you will be speaking. We will be speaking to Barry again because there's loads of things that we could speak to Barry about. Um, but hopefully, it's uh, been really insightful for you all. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Thank you.